from the American Tobacco Historic District in downtown Durham. This is Due South from WUNC. I'm Leonita Inge. And I'm Jeff Tabiri. Hello, welcome. It's time, finally. Today we begin a new chapter in the long and proud annals of this radio station. It's a daily program that seeks to synthesize, contextualize, and share the stories of our state and our region. Well, each weekday morning at 10, we're going to bring you voices and issues of the South, names and figures you know, and others you have yet to meet. There will be politics from this battleground purplish state. Race and Southern culture, that means food, music, and some uncomfortable history. We're going to chat with a lot of folks, including Grammy winners, national champions, political leaders, newsmakers, and Stanley Cup winners. As well as teachers, parents, everyday North Carolinians. That means you. And along the way, we'll ask you to be a part of our show. In due time, we'll ask you to weigh in with your opinions and questions. On this inaugural episode of Due South, our first Southern mixtape, WUNC music director Brian Burns gets us started. It's a song that does kind of cross genres, and that's something that a lot of Southern music does. It takes the blues and it takes soul and it creates just something unique sounding. It, it touches you in a way that both those genres do, but it sounds unique to itself. I would rather, I would rather go blind, boy, than to see you walk away. I think this Southern mixtape is going to be a keeper, Leonito. Also on tap this hour is your chat with comedian Roy Wood Jr. I know you grew up in the South, but you live in New York now, Roy, all the time. I mean, you're a homeowner in New York now. That's weird. I'm still a Southerner. You're still a Southerner? I do not think that my chapters end in New York City. Okay. At some point, I'm back South. That's Roy Wood Jr. coming up in a bit. Leonita, you used to babysit for Roy Wood Jr., is that right? Yep, that's right, back in the day. All right, seems like an appropriate time to remind our audience of your Southern roots. Yes, Alabama born, raised in Florida, HBCU graduate. Should we tell them you aren't? I think you just did. Although I'd like to note you've been calling me like partially Southern, Southern light. I've been here for 17 years now. Well, in some way, we're part of an evolving South. And our first guest fits that description. That's right. I want to introduce you to Blair L. M. Kelly, the newest director of the Center for the Study of the American South at UNC Chapel Hill. Kelly is the Joel R. Williamson Distinguished Professor of Southern Studies and is the author of Black Folk, The Roots of the Black Working Class. And we began our conversation with Professor Kelly by asking about the boundaries, contours of this big, complicated, messy region that is the American South. For me, the South is grounded in that history. Mm-hmm. Um, it's how I begin to think of the question of, of why it has meaning. For me, the South is symbolic of America. It is uh, the cauldron of the challenges that we as a country as a whole face. It is the history of slavery. It is the history of segregation. It is um, overcoming through movements. It is the spirit of the Southerners who I are in my family and who I love dearly. It is a broad panoply of people now and a lot of different kinds of South. Mm-hmm. I think it's hard to define for any narrow um, set of things. You know, people, you know, oh, biscuits and grits and, you sure. know, sort of those simple things. 
it is those things and it is so much more. Yeah. Are there a few words that do come to mind that you associate with the South? It, words that you love, maybe not cornbread and collard greens or, or, or Louis Armstrong or whatever. And greens, <laughs> yeah. Though. Together. And I don't, I don't know. Yes. You, but not touching. I don't like <laughs> oh wet my bread. Goodness. Oh I know my. I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm You're from not, Jersey. I so, know, I, you know, evidently. You answered my question. <laughs> uh, when we think about the South today, when, when I think about it and even look at the numbers, we know, especially for North Carolina, half the people here, they weren't born here. <laughs> yes, yes. We're, they're, they're, we're from New Jersey. So, uh, yes. Well, it's called the uh, reverse migration. Absolutely. And people have been coming back home, not necessarily to their home places, but nearby. Yes. And there have been people who've never been to the South before, have no connection. They're out of the tech industry in California. They're coming too. Yes. You know, so... Who gets to really define what the South is right now? I think we all have a, a voice in it. And I think that, you know, there's a draw toward um, nostalgia from lots of different segments of society. There's a draw to making a, a creation of a history that may or may not have existed to go back to a time when is a, is a habit that I think a lot of Southerners might have. But we're changing and we're more diverse. It's such a valuable thing to be able to be in a community uh, where I live, where my children can see black professionals. They Mm -hmm. can see those HBCUs. They can see uh, those PWIs and they can see a place for themselves in any one of those spaces. It's not available in much of the country for black children to be able to see themselves reflected. So it has its challenges. It has people who are using history in really powerful ways to try and manipulate us politically. But I I think there's a lot of possibility here. Is there a quintessential Southern place to you? I'm I'm a person who thinks in it like my favorite term when I'm teaching my students is like messy. Mm -hmm. Um, None of these things are neat. So when I think of a place like North Carolina, if I'm in Durham, it's a very different place than if I'm in Charlotte. It's a very different place than if I'm at the, in the mountains or if I'm down east. And so it's, it's hard for me to say, well, like, this is the thing that sure. makes the South. If I'm in Florida, it's a different state in different parts of that state. Yeah. If I'm in Alabama or Louisiana, it's a very different place. If I'm in Texas, my God, they'll tell you it's a very different place. And yeah. so... <laughs> It's hard to, to put and, and place a pin down and say, well, this is the, the quintessential place. Sure. All right. I would, I would put my pin down in the, in the mess of what the South is and the complication of what it is. How, how would you size up the mess for us, if you would dare, today in 2023 in a post-Trump, post-Floyd era juxtaposed to when you got to the South? I think, you know, I got here in 1995. Mm-hmm. It's a generation. Yeah, hey, I'm not that old. I was a, I was a small babe, um, <laughs> but I it was it was sleepier, it was smaller, it was was less intense, and things were more hopeful. You didn't have to pay to park. You didn't have to pay to park. Nope. Anywhere. Anywhere. <laughs> it was really nice. Hmm. It's very stressful to pay to park, but it's not. I mean, you know, it's not like New York City where you had to pay like a thousand dollars to park somewhere for a few hours, but um. I do think it, it felt more simple. Um, but I like the complication and the energy that we now have. 
I worry about um, gentrification. I worry about people losing uh, spaces of meaning because they aren't wealthy and that will wash away whole communities. So when I think of my own community, you know, I, the change is concerning um, because we don't often respect working people's communities or poorer people's communities mm-hmm. as much as we do the, the historicity that's present in more elite spaces. Mm-hmm. And so th- th- those changes do bother me. You know, when you drive through a neighborhood that, you know, people used to warn you about, now all of a sudden you see white picket fences and expensive uh, lighting fixtures and Colorful no doors. Curtains. That's a sign of Colorful doors, no right. curtains yeah. on the windows. Mm. Big, giant, gorgeous windows where you can just look dead up in people's houses. A lot of people <laughs> walking dogs. Love so many dogs. Is, is there anything that you've, uh, I, I guess, either uh, ever come across in, in, in research uh, historical research, or even if you're a consumer of current events, that you have found to be a useful tool, be it a community in North Carolina, a community in uh, Idaho, wherever it may be, something that civic leaders or elected leaders can do to not let, I, I think what you're talking about, some of the cultural roots slip away. The, the cultural roots are, are interesting. I spent some time thinking about neighborhood and place Mm -hmm. in my recent work. And oftentimes, you know, what we think of as like black neighborhoods or Latino neighborhoods, those folks are not homeowners, right? And oftentimes they're not homeowners because there are systemic things that have prevented them historically from becoming homeowners. Mm -hmm. So that when we look at those communities and we see uh, disrepair or disregard, we're, we're judging it, right? And, but we're, we're not judging the people who actually own those properties or that have systemem- systemically kept the people who live there from being homeowners. And so when, when those communities change, we're like, oh, it looks refreshed. It looks better. It looks good. But we're not talking about the sort of systemic problems that have led to dispossession even as there was community. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think finding ways to challenge and to uncover the layers that often are unspoken are, are so important when we're, when we're looking around our communities. Um, how do we create communities where those folks can become homeowners right. and get loans to improve their homes? You know, it, it breaks my heart to drive through East Durham and see folks be able to get loans to upkeep property that other folks couldn't get those loans for, for generations. It's, it's a powerful thing. And you, and you think, well, where, where will those families go? Where are they now? And how do we protect those who are already dispossessed? It's a painful symbol of the South. Yes. To go through those neighborhoods. Yes. And they're, and they're not just here. They're right. all over the entire South. Blair L. M. Kelly is the director of the Center for the Study of the American South at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. She's also the author of Black Folk, The Roots of the Black Working Class. This is Due South on WUNC.